We're reading today verses 38 down through verse 42. Our Lord has been dealing here with the Sermon on the Mount. and He's describing his people that are blessed. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are they which do mourn. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness. He's describing believers. He's describing his people that's been given a new nature that are not living under the laws because they know the law has been fulfilled. He said, I didn't come to destroy the law. I came to fulfill it. He went to the Sabbath day because it was under the law. Remember when he healed the ten lepers, the nine who didn't come back, he said, you go, you show yourself unto the priest. And the priest must look at you, and the priest would have been the one that declared them clean. That was under the law. And he said, accept your righteousness. Accept our righteousness. Exceed that of the scribes and the Pharisees. We will never enter into the kingdom of God. And the only way our righteousness can ever exceed anything is for him to give us a righteousness whereby we are accepted. And we are righteous before God, there is no condemnation because the law cannot condemn us because we've kept the law. It's been satisfied, all, all its demands. And here he said, you have heard that it hath been said. You know what the law says. You know the literal letter of the law. The law killeth, but the Spirit gives life. The law condemns. The law says do this and live. You've heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say unto you that ye resist not evil. That's the title of the lesson, resist not evil. But whosoever shall smite thee on thy cheek, turn to him the other. And if any man will sue thee at the law and take away, take away thy coat, let him have thy cloak also. And whosoever shall come out, com compel thee to go a mile, go with him twain. Give to him that asketh of thee, and him that would borrow of thee, turn not thou away. What we'll be looking at today is self-revenge. What is that is when someone like a vigilante takes the law into their own hands. God set up in the Jewish nation a legal system that would control men. And if a man had an issue with someone else, he didn't just take care of it himself. He must bring it before the judge. And they would look at the case and here's what it said. He said, you've heard it said. That's what the law said. And it mentions this three times. Exodus 21, 24. An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. A hand for a hand and a foot for a foot. If a man plucked out a man's eye, you know what they did? They plucked out his eye. That's what the law said. That's justice. The, the punishment fit the crime. It wasn't a life for an eye. It was an eye for an eye. 
Also, Leviticus 24, verse 20, breach for breach, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. And he hath caused the blemish in a man, so shall it be done to him again. In Deuteronomy 19, 21, and thine eye shall not pity, but life shall go for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, and foot for foot. God had established the law to deal with sin. And they had their laws. You think about it, no other nation had this. God gave it to his people. Now, I know this, we know from the scriptures, when the natural man do the things contained in the law, they are a law unto themselves. Brother Todd preached a good message the other night. He talks about it was written on their minds and their conscience. They are born with a conscious knowledge of good and evil, but they didn't have these actual laws laid out before them. The judges who were the ones that were ordained of God to carry out the sentence of the law. They were even laws about animals. Uh, if you would turn to Exodus 21, verses 28 and 29. A man was responsible for his animals. If an ox with its horn would gore a man or a woman and that person that was gored died, then the ox shall be stoned and the flesh shall not be eaten. Nothing wrong physically with the animal. And you say, well, we could stone it. Why couldn't we eat it? The Lord said, no, you don't, you don't eat it. You can't eat it. But the owner of the ox shall quit it or make good for it. Now look in verse 29. But if the ox was known or won't, won't to punish with his horn in times past, he had a reputation for doing it. He was an honorary bull or whatever. And it had been testified to his owner. The owner knew about it. And he had not kept him in, but, he had, but that he hath killed a man or a woman, the ox shall be stoned again. Well, what about the master? And the owner shall be put to death. He's responsible. He knew the ox. You know what he should have done? After it gored somebody the first time, he should have killed it. I mean, this may seem severe, but we had a, a goat. And I don't know what was happening to that goat. And somebody said, well, you could have took it to the sale and sold it. I didn't know who would be getting hold of that goat. I didn't want anybody to be around that goat. And the best thing for me to do was to just put that goat down. Because you never know. All it takes is one time, and it's one time too many. But here, even a man, the owner, was responsible for the goat. I mean, for the animal. I never noticed this till the other day. Do you know anywhere in the scripture where it mentions that Israel had any prisons? They didn't need any. They dealt with things swiftly. We know, just an example, we've been going through the book of Acts on Wednesday nights, Ananias and Sapphira. Lord dealt with that quickly. 
Achan, remember he took what was not his. God dealt with it swiftly. Korah and Dathan, God dealt with that swiftly. Swiftly. And here's why. In Ecclesiastes 8.11, because sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily, therefore the hearts of men is fully set in them to do evil. A man's caught and arrested. He, he may sit in a prison cell for a year before he ever has a trial. Oh, that ain't how they deal with it. So we're going to deal with it. And they dealt with it as God commanded. God gave them the system. And it was given to constrain and to stop crimes. You know why? Men are sin. Men are depraved. You know, why, what, is, what is the purpose of the law? The law is not given for righteous men, but for an unrighteous man. That's what, there is the lawful use of the, I'm thankful we have laws. Somebody told me one time, you know, we just need to do away with the speed limits and just all kinds of laws. And I said, well, let me tell you just a little secret. I said, you get out here on Highway 62, you're never going to make it to Interstate 77. Somebody's going to run over you, and if they don't, somebody's going to kidnap you and take you out of here. That's exactly right. She said, oh, no, it never happened. (laughs) 1 Timothy 1, 9, knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous man, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and for sinners, for unholy and profane, for murderers of fathers and mothers of mo- mothers and for manslayers. There's three reasons that God gave this system. The punishment fit the crime. There's a reason it's called first-degree murder. There's a reason it's called manslaughter. What used to be first-degree murder was premeditated murder. It was when a man sat down, and in his mind, he planned out he was, how he was going to rob a store or actually take someone's life. Premeditated. And it, that used to receive the death penalty. I thought this was odd. As I was studying the lesson, I saw on the Internet, I think it's in the state of Idaho, they're going to bring back the firing squad. And they said they would use it. I guess they were running out of the things they used for lethal injection, and they said, we'll just spend a few bullets. But that was there. That's what they were thinking about doing. And I know each state, each state has their own dealings. Whoso, I want you to listen to this. Now, this is just right after Noah's come off the ark. This is a long time before God gave the Mosaic law. He said, whoso, shit. Now, I want you to think, listen to this. You, you don't need a, a commentary to understand this. This is pretty simple. Whoso sheddeth a, sheds a man's blood, by man shall his blood be shed. Now, why did God say if a man kills a man, that that man ought to be killed? Why? For in the image of God, 
made he him. He's saying, you've heard what the law said. And it is a deterrent to crime. Turn to Deuteronomy 19. Like I said, we're thinking about revenge. Not taking self-revenge. Not taking the law into our own hands. God has established these. Deuteronomy 19, verse 18. And the judges shall make diligent inquisition. They researched it out. They looked at the evidence. And behold, if the witness is a false witness, just because... We know today somebody lays their hand on the Bible and raises their hand. Don't mean they ain't going to commit perjury. But they have been inspected and they've been, they are a false witness. And he has testified falsely against his brother. Then shall you do unto him as he hath thought to be done unto his brother. So shalt thou put the evil away from among you, and those which remain shall hear in fear, and shall henceforth f- f- commit no more any such evil among you. They said, I'd be careful about lying in that court. They don't put up with it. What he did was whatever the man wished when he lied, he was maybe he was hoping the man would get sentenced for 20 years, and he lied about it. And they found out he lied about it. You know what they did? He gets the 20 years. He gets the 20 years. That's justice. What about corrupt lawyers? If they found them out, they're not above the law. They're not above the law. And the third thing, it kept victims from becoming vigilantes. If you killed someone without malice, you could flee to a city of refuge. And the reason you was fleeing to the city of refuge, the kinsperson to the person that you killed, you didn't plan on killing them. Maybe you were just out working or something and something happened. And he died. His brother's going to chase you. And if he gets you before you get into the city of refuge, he'll kill you. If the law catches you outside the city of refuge, you're doomed. But if the man intentionally took somebody's life and he goes into the city of refuge, he's not safe. The city will search him out. The city will look at the evidence and they'll bring the man out and they say, take him on. Take him on. This was a way to keep men from trying to take the law into their own hands. Men love to do that. Here's an example. There's probably several, but here's one I can think of. They call a woman one day in the very act of adultery, And you know what the law said. The law said that woman ought to be stoned. Well, what about the man? 
she caught him in, if they, if they caught her in the act of adultery, she was not alone. And here these men come, and they just throw this woman down. I think she was set up. That's me personally. Throwed her down at Jesus' feet, and they said, we know what the law says. We know what the law says. What do you say? He ignored them. Just started writing on the ground. Maybe I've heard a lot of people speculate what he wrote. It really doesn't matter. He ignored them. And they're all standing there, and you know what he said? You that are without sin, that think you have the right to stone this woman, and if you've kept the law, you that are without sin, cast the first stone. And it said they were convicted in their conscience, and they began to leave one at a time. And when when it's all said and done, that woman's there with our Lord, and she said, you condemn me? He said, I don't care. And then condemn you. Go and sin no more. I bet she thought, wow. You know what he did? He forgave her. If he forgave her, she's forgiven. She's forgiven. There must be a trial to bring forth the evidence. Let me say this, when we try, and a lot of times we do, let's just be honest. You hurt me, first thing comes to our mind, well, I'm going to make him suffer. One way or the other, I'm going to make him suffer. I won't, I, won't, I won't talk to him, you know. I, I won't, I won't, I'll just ignore him, or I, if I can, I'll make it hard on him, you know. <laughs> it never turns out well. Turn with me. I want to show you an example. It's one that came to my mind this morning, 2 Samuel chapter 3. 3. So you'll know what, we're, what the context is here. Abner was Saul's right-hand man. This, he was no slouch. He was run his military. And he was a mean man. Remember that one time there was a, one, of, uh, one of the one young men from David's army was chasing him. And he told him, he said, you need to chase somebody else. He basically, he said, you don't want any of this. And that man was known for his swiftness, known for running. Well, he maybe could outrun Abner, but he couldn't outfight him. And he's about to get Abner. And you know what Abner did? He took his spear and he flipped it around with the head back that way. And about the time that guy got to him, he just jabbed him, killed him right there on the spot. And he said, I warned you. That's Abner. But then King Saul dies. And I think God maybe have done a work of grace in Abner's heart. And Abner came to see David. He didn't go out taking revenge. He came to David. You know why he came to David? David is the one who can take care of the problem. And it said in verse 20 of 2 Samuel 3, So Abner came to David in Hebron, that's where David was reigning, and 20 men with him. And David made Abner and the men that were with him a feast. We're going to see next week, love your enemies. 
David made him a feast. <laughs> I guess they thought, well, I didn't expect this. Because you can imagine all the tales that Saul had told about David trying to make David look bad in everyone's eyes. And Abner said to David, I will arise and go and will gather all Israel unto my lord the king, that they may make a league with thee, and that thou mayest reign over all that thine heart desires. He's saying basically... The nation was divided between David and Saul. He says, I'll bring all those people to you, David. And David sent Abner away, and he went in peace. We know this was a wicked man. He deserved to die. But if the king showed him peace, showed him mercy, that's grace. We all, by nature, are the Abners. But something else. Now look in verse 26 of chapter 3. And when Joab was come out from David, now Joab was David's right-hand man. He was as bad as Abner. These men were ruthless. Remember that time they were going to have, what you call it, they were going to have a day of party? Huh? Play date. Play date, Yeah. They were going to bring them in out, and they were going to pretend that they were playing. They, they weren't playing. They were going to kill each other. But Joab was come out from David, and he sent messengers after Abner, which brought him again from, from the well of Sherer. But David knew it not. This is all happening. David didn't know it. And when Abner was returned to Hebron, what happened is Joab sent for him. When Abner was returned to Hebron, he left in peace. Joab took him aside in the gate to speak with him quietly. And he smote him there under the fifth rib, and he died. And the reason he killed him was for Abihel, his brother, the one that Joab killed with a spear. What do we see here? Joab said, I'm going to get revenge. He thinks he can kill my brother. I'm going to avenge my brother. I'm going to take the law into my own hand, even though the king's done forgave him. That's Joab. But okay, will Joab get by with this? Joab knew a lot on David. Joab was the one that David sent a letter to to give to his general, and he says, Uriah the Hittite, he said, you draw back from him and you leave him right there so they'll kill him because he was the husband of Bathsheba. Joab knew it. Joab had a lot on David. And don't you know if you know human nature, he used it against him. But will Joab get by with this? Who's going to avenge this man? He murdered a man. Intentionally murdered. He didn't care. David's getting ready to die. David's getting ready to die. And he tells Solomon what to do about Joab. In 1 Kings chapter 2, verse 5,
See, Solomon's going to be king. David's getting ready to leave this world. God has chosen Solomon and put him on the throne. And you know who the king is? He's the judge. He's the ruler of, of Israel. 1 Kings 2, 5, Moreover, thou knowest also, this is David talking to Solomon, what Joab the son of Zerai did to me, and what he did to the two captains of the host of Israel, unto Abner, there it is, the son of Ner, and to Amasa, the son of Jephthah, whom he slew and shed the blood of war in peace, and put the blood of war upon his girdle that was about his loins and in his shoes that were on his feet. Do therefore according to thy wisdom, and let not his whore head or his gray head come down to the grave in peace. He's basically saying, don't let him become an old man. He told the king. You know what I see here? God doesn't judge men. He got quiet because he's committed all judgment into the hands of his darling son. Jesus Christ, he's going to be the one that's sitting upon the throne. David didn't judge him. Solomon's going to judge him. It's Solomon's responsibility to take care of this. The father told him he committed it into his hands, and it's his responsibility, and he will. He will. Why? Because the law demands it. The law demands it. 1 Kings 2, 28. Then tidings came to Joab, for Joab had turned after a Jonah that was Solomon's brother. They wanted this guy to be king. They were doing everything they could. They even came and tried to persuade Bathsheba to go along with the deal and say that this is the one David wants to be king. You know what David did? I can see him barely being able to lift his head up off the bed. He's so sick. He said, you go get my mule. And you put Solomon on my mule, and you lead him through Jerusalem, and you tell everybody, Solomon is king. But Joab was going after the other guy. He's a backstabber. He didn't really love David. Oh, I'll go after this guy, and I'll get back at David. I'll get revenge on David. This is what I'll do. That was his plan. And Joab fled into the tabernacle of the Lord. Now, when he heard what Solomon was doing, what he had done, he done took care of some other men. What did he do? He fled into the tabernacle of the Lord. And he caught hold of the horns of the altar. He thinks he's safe. He thinks he's safe. He thinks you won't touch me right here. And it was told King Solomon that Joab was fled into the tabernacle of the Lord, and he is by the altar. Then Solomon sent Benaiah, the son of Jehoah, saying, Go, fall upon him. And he came to the tabernacle of the Lord and said unto him, Thus saith the king, Come forth. And he said, Nay, but I'll die right here. So Benaiah brought the king's word again, saying, Then said Joab, and thus he answered me. And the king said, Do him said unto him, Do as he hath said, and fall upon him, and bury him, that thou may take away the innocent blood which Joab shed, 
from me and from the house of my father. He's going to avenge him for the innocent blood that he took. And the king said, you go in there and you get him and you drag him out. Why? We're going to see vengeance is mine, I will repay. David didn't have to get vengeance. But Solomon, he said, David said, according to your wisdom. And he did. You remember the man who cursed David, Shimei? He got his too. Solomon said, don't you leave the house. For no reason, don't you leave it. A couple years later, he loses a goat. So he goes after the goat. You know what? Solomon called him in. He said, did I tell you not to go? Yeah. Did you leave? Yeah. Okay, that's it. You was warned. Who is our Lord speaking to here in Matthew? He's speaking to believers. Those who are poor in spirit. He's not speaking to unbelievers. He's speaking to us who know the Lord. Well, it don't do any good to take a, tell a lost man to not get re, take revenge. He don't. He don't care. He don't care. Turn with me to Romans chapter thirteen. Romans thirteen. Let every soul. Romans 13, 1, let every soul be subject unto the higher powers. You know what that means. We should obey the laws. For there is no power but of God, and the powers that be, now you remember this, the powers that be, the powers that are in place, are ordained of God. Wherefore, therefore, resist... Whosoever therefore resisteth the power resist the ordinance of God, and they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to the evil. Wilt thou not be afraid of the power? Do that which is good, and thou shalt have praise of the same. For he is the minister of God to thee for good. But if thou do that which is evil, be afraid, for he beareth not the sword in vain, for he is the minister of God a revenger to execute wrath upon him that doeth evil. That's why God has established judges and court systems. That's the reason. Wherefore, you must needs be subject not only for wrath, but for conscience sake. For this cause, that's why we pay taxes, pay tribute, and for they are the ministers attending continually unto this very thing. Render therefore to their dues, to all their dues, tribute to whom tribute is due, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. You know how some people interpret this passage, this here from Matthew and just what I read in Romans. They don't they don't they think they don't think you need policemen. Remember a while back, they had to defund the police. We see how that worked out. I mean, I'm telling you, if you didn't have police, it would be nothing but tyranny. Men be running. They would because men, they, they love to break the law. They love, that's their nature. And they also don't think we need armies. 
The only reason, now you listen to me, the reason we can stand here this morning and preach the gospel is because men down through the ages have said, I will go and defend this country. I will defend the constitution of this country. I will lay down my life for this country, for the freedom. And the day we quit doing that and we don't have the army that we once had, we're in a mess. You know why? We were one of the greatest armies in all the world. Greatest. When World War II broke out, men were signing up to go to war. How many would go to war today? That ain't my problem. When it falls in your backyard, then it will be your problem. And some that think the same thing don't think you ought to punish your children. That's true. You don't punish them and you see what happens. I guess it's okay for me to use my kids as illustrations when they're not here to, to defend themselves. <laughs> you know, Erica, my middle daughter, she has three. She has Macy, which is 10, and Paisley, which is 7, somewhere along in there. And then Ensley, I mean, or Hadley. She's 18 months old. And Erica told me the other day, she said, if I'd had Hadley first, that'd have been the last one I had. <laughs> we was down there, and you know how you sit in your high chair, and you got your little sippy cup. Sandy had put her in the first thing she did. She just went, knocked it right in the floor. Sandy picked it back up and sat down. You know what she went? And she went. <laughs> Sandy spoke something to her, and she went, 18 months old. Marvin told me something. He said that when uh, his oldest daughter was six months old, he called his daddy. He said, Daddy, when do you start correcting them? And Marvin said, well, if it's been a year, you're six months too late. <laughs> they need to be taught there are consequences. Consequences. I remember my grandmother telling it. It was my uh, uncle, which was my only uncle, my mama's brother. She told me the day he got married, he was probably 18 or 20. My grandma was a small lady. He was a big man. He sassed her or said something to him. She dealt with it right there, right there in front of him. She did, I mean, in the whole marriage party, she didn't. She didn't care. That was her son. She told him. She said, I'll never cease being your mama, and don't you talk back to me that way. You know what? I've never forgot her selling it, and I bet he never forgot it. We should resist the evil in us. We should resist false teachers. We should resist and speak out against evil in our societies. People don't want you to say anything. That's right. You just need to be quiet. It's better to obey God than men. I know the powers that be are ordained of God. But ask what Peter did when they said, don't you preach anymore in this name. And they throwed him in the prison cell. You know what happened? The angel of God went and opened up the prison doors. You know what he said? Go back to the temple and preach. He didn't say go get in some corner somewhere. Basically, it's like saying, you go up there on the front steps of the Capitol, and I want you to preach to those people. 
and tell them it's wrong. The Apostle Paul was not a pacifist. I want to show you this in Acts 16. Now, you know what's happened here. It's Paul has come to Macedonia. He's preached, and Lydia's been converted. And then there was a woman that was following him. She was possessed. And Paul cast the demon out, and the people that were making money off of the woman got mad, and they brought Paul to the magistrates, and they had him, they had him beaten. You man beat just beating a man. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake. What did they beat him for? Preaching the gospel. And when it was day, the magistrate sent to the sergeant, saying, Let those men, let Paul and, and Silas go. And the keeper of the prison told this saying to Paul, The magistrate has sent to let you go. Now they're to afford to go and depart in peace. You know, I always thought, I don't know what I thought. I thought, you know, when the Philippian jailer was saved, I thought they left. No, they stayed right there in the prison cell. They didn't leave. And the magistrate sends and he sent word to them. He said, you go tell them they can go. But Paul said unto them, they have beaten us openly uncondemned. They had no right to beat us. He's not a pacifist. Being Romans, oh, my goodness. They didn't take time to ask Paul if he was a Roman. A Roman did not beat another Roman. That was the law. And Paul sends back, he said, uh, you going to beat a man uncondemned that's a Roman? And have cast us into prison? And now you want to just thrust us out privately without anybody knowing about it? Nay, verily. But you say, you go fetch them and tell them to come down here and we'll talk about it. <laughs> but he didn't just leave. You know why? Because what they did was wrong. And then it said, and the sergeant told them these words to the magistrate, and they feared when they heard that they were Romans. And they came and besought them and brought them out and desired them to depart out of the city. He spoke against it. And I can tell you by God's grace and God's help, we will speak out against what's wrong. It's sin. It's sin. It's always been sin, and it's sin. God's never changed. Evil people persecute God's children for Christ's sake. Why, did, why was Paul persecuted? For preaching the gospel. Do you think that's changed? No, it's not changed. Men have not changed. Man's nature has not changed. Cain persecuted Abel. The prophets were persecuted. In the book of Acts it said, and they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer for Christ's name. We should submit to the ordinances of men. Let me give you one 
turn to Romans chapter 12. I'll finish with this. Don't take vengeance in your own hands. Recompense no man evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of men if it be possible. Now do you see this? If it be possible, as much as, as, much as life in you, as much as you can, live peaceably with all men. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourself, but rather give place unto wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. And that's written in Proverbs 25, verses 21 and 22. Therefore, if thy enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink, for in so doing thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. Let me read to you what Mr. Mahan said. I thought this was good. He said, private revenge is contrary to our gospel. We are not to repay evil words for evil words or evil deeds for evil deeds. Providing thing honest and honest in the sight of all men has to do with our business dealings, our clean conversation, our conduct in public, our faithfulness to our families, to civic and business duties. If possible, as much as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. We are not to disturb others, nor let them disturb us. The first is in our power, the second is not. The chief offender in this warfare is the tongue. But most would say, boy, if, I, if I'm good to my enemy, God will heap coals of fire on his head. You know, you know the first thing comes to our mind. <laughs> yeah, we'd take live coals from out of stove. We'd heap. That's not what they're saying. What it means is hopefully by us being kind and gracious that God will convict their conscience and humble them and bring them to repentance because that's what we want. Revenge not yourself. But I tell you this. He said, anybody smite you on one cheek, turn to him to the other. You want to be somebody that would smite or slander a child of God? If you did and somebody that did, it'd be better for them if they'd never been born. It ain't for you to take vengeance, but don't think God will let stuff get by like he let Joab. He will punish it in his own time. And you know what? It will be an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. He will deal in strict judgment. It's going to be more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for some religious people. That's justice. 